Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello, and welcome to What to Say When Things Get Tough, a podcast dedicated to helping you communicate more effectively in difficult situations, both personal and professional. I'm your host, Leonard S. Greenberger. Well, listeners, COVID finally caught up to me. Fortunately, it was a very mild case, and I am now fully recovered, but it did keep me from recording a new episode for you this time. Instead, I decided to look back and find the most popular episode of the past year, and I'm offering it up to you again. It features Matt State, a Welsh national and martial art expert who used his skills to overcome a difficult childhood and become a successful competitor, bodyguard, teacher, and author. I hope you enjoy our conversation, and we'll be back next time with an all-new episode. Hello, and welcome to What to Say When Things Get Tough, a podcast dedicated to helping you communicate more effectively in difficult situations, both personal and professional. I'm your host, Leonard S. Greenberger. Our guest today is Matt State, a Welsh national who's a little hard to define. He's a martial arts expert who has leveraged that expertise into a career as a bodyguard, teacher, and author of four very well-received books on everything from his experiences to how to keep your child safe. Effective communication has been critical to his success, whether it was using his negotiating skills to push for something better after a difficult childhood, to overcome all the people who told him he couldn't achieve his goals, or to extricate himself from many situations that otherwise would have escalated to violence, which would not have been good news for his potential opponents. As he put it, physicality can be a part of a bouncer or bodyguard's job, but 99% is success in effective communication and problem solving. And when I mentioned that after my book was published, I often took dates to restaurants near bookstores, he revealed that that's exactly how he met his fiancée. I hope you enjoy our conversation. My guest today is Matt State, an expert in multiple martial arts who teaches and trains and has provided security for the Saudi royal family, bands, and celebrities, among others. He has appeared on television and in at least one short film, and he is the author or co-author of four books, including one entitled 20 Easy Ways to Keep Your Child Safe, that I plan to buy for each of my eight children and stepchildren as they begin to have children of their own. Matt joins us from Wales in Great Britain. Welcome to the podcast, Matt. It's good of you to be here. Thank you for the invite. I like to start these interviews by getting to know a little bit about how my guests got to where they are today. It was a little hard to pinpoint from the research I was able to do. I know that you're British. Yeah, that's right. So I'm, I'm Welsh by nationality, uh, but I spent the most of my life uh, living in England, but I'm back in Wales now. You talk about having uh, a turbulent childhood and 
I think that seems to be something of a theme of some of the folks that I talk to, you know, things that they've had to overcome uh, to be successful in their fields. Tell us a little about that and, and how that led you to the martial arts and how in turn the martial arts helped you to escape that turbulence. Yeah, the, the, like a lot of people, my childhood had its ups and downs. But the thing is, I suppose, not to let that sort of define you as a person, but to try and learn from that. And a lot of the things that happened during that period and that time were uncomfortable, were, weren't particularly pleasant. And uh, I, I, I wished for a better life, if you will. And I saw that within martial arts. Uh, we're, we're going back to a time when the internet wasn't available for people. We had very little on the television. And so those rare glimpses of a few, a few things, occasionally on the wrestling, you'd see a martial artist. Um, occasionally you'd see something like Kung Fu, the television series, that sort of thing. And there were all these little glimpses of what I thought was this extraordinary capability that I thought, if only I knew that, I'd no longer have any problems. You know, I'd be able to defeat all the bad guys and be very confident in my in my persona and all that sort of thing. And, and obviously, once you start down that pathway and you start to understand it a bit more, um, you realise that it's no different to anything else. It isn't the answer to everything. However, it can be really beneficial to a, a better quality of life. And that's, you know, I feel very strongly that the... The fact that I got into martial arts and I um, dedicated a lot of years towards practicing and learning the arts has massively benefited in a positive way to, to, to not just my life, but to many people around me. At what age did you get started? I had a couple of full starts. Um, again, I sort of write about this in, in one of the books where uh, back in those days, again, it was there wasn't a gym on every street corner as there is now. They were much harder to find. And so I came from a small Welsh town, as I, as I mentioned earlier, and there really wasn't that much available initially. So I had to sort of look around. And, and the, the, the first couple of things that I tried, they weren't really the right fit for me at that time. Um, I found a judo club. And no, no offence to the judo club, I've since... You know, I've done some judo afterwards and found it to be really, really a great art. But nobody was kicking anybody. And of course, watching Bruce Lee on the on the movies, we all wanted to be Bruce Lee, didn't we? And so nobody was kicking anybody. So straight away, it was like, oh, no, that's not no, that's not right for me. I, I tried some boxing as well, and I found that interesting. And again, I, I love boxing, and I and I went back to that. But at the time, as a kid, I found that again, it wasn't quite what I was looking for. And eventually, a few years later, this is in my late teens, my father committed suicide. And that really was the main impetus for me to come back to it properly. And that's when I found uh, Wadaru Karate at the time. And that was and that was it, really. That was, for me at the time, that was the, the one, you know, it, it, it did all the things that I anticipated. It, it looked just like the movies. You know, when, when I first went to the dojo, everyone was in the crisp white geese and the sounds and the smells and... And then it felt like being, you know, sort of there, wherever there was in your mind at that age. And so, yeah, that was that was really the, when I took to it properly and really sort of embedded it into how I lived my life. I think that it helped to build your self-confidence, of course, and made it easier for you to engage with others. Were you, were you, were you picked on as a kid? Um, was there any of that as a motivation for getting into the field? Yeah, yeah, there was... 
But there, there was, unfortunately, there was violence in the home. There was sort of domestic stuff going on. That we moved a lot as kids as well. Uh, my parents were divorced, and so we sort of bounced around a little bit. And I was always a new kid in the new school, and so everybody, unfortunately, decided that um, it'd be a good idea to try and make my life a bit challenging. Uh, uh, but but it's really really interesting because at that time, it felt like there was no sort of way out of that. There was no, um, there was no escape from that. Mm-hmm. But years later, I've, I've actually come across several of those bullies from those days. And it's extraordinary, the, just the mundane life that they've led. <laughs> uh, and that's not to dismiss them because I don't mean it like that. But all those people that when I was a kid, I thought were like super special and super cool and were going to be great and all the rest of it. They, for the most part, they, they're not. The martial arts gave me the ability to to not accept the normal and to push for things. Um, that was that was something that was something that came out of the martial arts very early on was the fact that um, up until then I'd been in a world where no was a very familiar sound. Um, you can't do that. There's no point in even trying. You know what what who on earth do you think you are to think that you could possibly manage that? You know I had it when. I first started martial arts. I had it when I went for my first black belt. I had it for several other black belts. I had it when I went to start the gym. I had it when I went for the world championships. At each time, there was always people to say, you know, no, you can't do that because they couldn't do it. But always the martial arts fraternity, my club, my group, my friends, my people around that, they were all actually completely the other way around and saying, of course you can do it, put enough work in, you can do anything you like, you know, within reason. I'm never, I'm never going to be a world champion horse jockey because, hey, I'm six foot two and, you know, a fair size. So that's not going to happen, but, you know, within reason. And so that positivity from the martial arts has, has led into other aspects of your life. It's really hard for it not to, you know, once you start tasting a little bit of success in something, that does actually become not just a little bit addictive, but you realize that it's actually more than possible. Let me see if I can shoehorn something in here to this conversation is, you know, uh, what to say when things get tough is a podcast about communicating more effectively in difficult situations, both personal and professional. And as you moved into martial arts, as you say, tasted some success, as, as you, you found your calling, it sounds like, and something that was able to uh, help you get past all the no's, and then you'll never do this, and, and people who were, um, whether they knew it or not, you know, holding you back. Was there any role that community played in helping you do that, or have you become, do you feel a more effective communicator as a result of what you've been able to accomplish? Yeah, again, the, the communication element has been utterly critical throughout. Not, there, I didn't realise it at the time, but all of those early years and all of those negotiation skills and those, um, those ways of communicating to sort of extricate me from whatever condition, uh, situation I found myself in became really valuable later because... Um, as I mentioned, I'm not a small guy and, and I started doing well within the martial arts. I enjoyed the physicality of it and opportunities came up to start working in security. You know what? I like to go and uh, be a bouncer, work on these nightclub doors and things. And, mm-hmm. and that then led to close protection stuff. And, uh, and so it was a sort of natural progression. But what I, what I found out was that the truth is any kind of role like that, there is an element of physicality, but 
99% of it is good communication and problem solving in the moment. If you can do that well, the rest mostly falls into place. I mean, there are exceptions where uh, physicality just can't be avoided, but for the most part, it boils down to communication. And so, yeah, it found out that, um, that all of those skills that I'd been honing as a, as a kid, just trying to sort of get through the new school system or whatever it was, actually paid dividends. And, and, and I was, I felt that I was good at it. Um, I must have been okay at it because I quickly went through the ranks and, and started running my own clubs. Then I got moved on to looking after problem clubs, so on and so forth. And eventually I ended up becoming a trainer and I spent best part of what 12 years or so teaching physical intervention, conflict management to corporate security, all kinds of different organizations that dealt with frontline conflict. And when you do your training, um, when you have a student who is struggling to um, sort of get it and to figure out um, what you're looking for, what role does communication play in that? What, what, what lessons have you learned that have helped you to pull people through? Well, what's really sort of interesting about that on any, from any walk of life is that we all have different learning styles. We all have different ways that we uh, understand information. And it's really just sort of breaking, breaking through that and understanding which which way of explaining something is going to be the way that actually connects and i mean I, it's interesting because becoming a teacher becoming a somebody because i've been teaching martial arts now since the early 90s and when i first started that very green very unsure you know and it's really through teaching that you start to understand things more because you have to find so many different ways of saying the same thing and communicating the same information um, uh, that you, you really start to get a much deeper understanding of things then. And so that's, that's been really beneficial. I think the main thing really is, as I said, just figuring out how people learn because we're all, we're all slightly different and we all have slightly different, not just ways of understanding, but motivational levels, you know, things that actually make us want to do the thing that we're trying to do. So you know, it's, it's things like that. Really. It's, it's really interesting because it still catches me out now. I, I've, 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 I'm doing a master's at the moment uh, because I didn't get an education when I was young or not, a, 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 not that kind of thing. And I'm lucky enough now where I can go back to that at this point in my life. So I'm doing that. Uh, and the reason I say that is because one of the things I had to do was write this sort of academic piece of writing. And I had that looked at and critiqued and it came back at me in a format that I'd never seen before. And instantly my brain was like, boom, 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 boom. And I really had this panic and overwhelm because I'd not seen it before. And, and for a few hours, it, it, it almost crippled me. And I, I really didn't know how to move that forward. And, and it's, it's strange because I'm so confident in what I do now to be completely out of my depth in something else and be a complete novice at it and have that, as I said, that feeling of overwhelm. Uh, it's, you know, it, it, I don't think it ever goes away. We just, we, I think as we get older, quite often what happens is we find our lane and we tend to mostly just kind of stay in that <laughs> um, but that's that's obviously comfortable and unfortunately quite often the growth isn't in there it's, it's you've got to get out of that yeah that's right it, it's important I think to continue to take on new challenges especially as you age because it helps to stimulate the brain keep you young hopefully <laughs> pick something that maybe helps you stay in shape I took up the piano not too long ago for, for exactly that reason, just to try something new and 
uh, something I've been interested in ever since I was a kid, but just never was able to find the time to do it. And I haven't been doing it long, but I really do enjoy it. And it's definitely exercising a different part of my brain. Someone play the piano well is is fantastic, isn't it? So, yeah, no, fair play to you for doing that. It's uh, it, that strikes me as that would be very challenging. Well, it is. I've got you can't quite see it. It's just off screen here, but I've got a little keyboard in the office. I've got I live with my girlfriend, and we well together we have eight children. Not all of them live with us, but there are enough of them that finding time, space, uh, quiet to, to practice is just impossible. So I do it here in the office, but I did have a chance yesterday to do a little practicing for the first time. And I came upstairs from it and my girlfriend said, wow, you really are sounding good. I can't remember feeling that good when she said that to me as I have in a long time, uh, again, because it's something new. So it's, uh, it's exciting and it's uh, rewarding when you feel like you're getting better at something like that. I presume we're not going to get a little blast now today. Oh, uh, no, not today. No, I'm, I'm the interviewer. Uh, if you were doing it, Matt, I might ask you to, you know, if you told me you played sax, I might ask you to pull it out and, and, and give us a little uh, a sample. But no, no, not, not, not from this end. What's very interesting to learn as I was doing a little research on you before uh, we finally got together here um, is that you've become something of a writer, co-written, I think, four books and, and, and probably other things. I think it seems to me we share a love of, of, of writing. That's definitely something I've done. I've published a book and it's... Uh, in my job, it's a, a lot of what I do is writing and, and public relations is my profession. Tell me about how you found writing and, and how that's helped you along in your career and in your life. Yeah, well, the writing was, um, you know, when people say, oh, everyone's got a book in them. And it was it was very much like that. The first book, because uh, as you said, I've written four now. One of them was co-authored with uh, a wonderful lady called Kai Morgan. But the first one was uh, basically called Modern Samurai. It was about my time working in security and as a bouncer and a bodyguard and things. And it had been swirling around in my head trying to get out for a number of years. And I half wrote it. And this goes back to this no conversation that, that keeps popping up. I half wrote it and a couple of people said, you know, utterly ridiculous. You can't possibly write a book. You barely went to school. Um, and then that was coupled with my own mind at the time, also telling me that, you know, what on earth do I think I'm doing? And so I ended up putting it in a cupboard for a couple of years, ignoring it, but it just wouldn't go away. It was always sat there in the back of my mind, just sort of waiting to, 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 to come back out. And eventually it did. I went to, I was very, very fortunate to be um, included into a small book group for a book that was coming out by a world-recognized author who was, um, I think he was two or three best-selling books in by that stage. And when, I mean, Times bestsellers, uh, so in the context of on a world stage. And I'd applied for this small group and was very very fortunate to, to be accepted and, and so over the course of this this reading group for this two-day period I was in a room with some extraordinary people and that sort of lit the fire under my backside not only in the sense that um, it, it is viable that this can be done I can write a book but also that my my opinions were valid because within the group I was reasonably vocal in my thoughts and what have you. And, and it turned out that, that some of that had significance to the process. So, um, so I went back, rejuvenated and committed to writing 2000 words a day. 
And that was basically how I've written ever since with, with, with all of the books. I, I sit down and I write 2,000 words, good, bad, or indifferent. If they're bad, I, I metaphorically screw them up, throw them away, and we start the process again. Uh, and that way, that got the book finished, managed to get it out. And I was absolutely delighted and dumbfounded to find that it hit number one on Amazon. Um, it was really well received, got lots of really good reviews. And, and lots of people within the industry, more importantly, were very positive about it um, and so it was it was it was written as a as an answer to a lot of questions that people had because people were always asking me questions about the industry and, and a lot of people have an understanding of it that isn't necessarily correct so I wanted to answer those questions and I didn't want it to be one of those sort of hard man books you know the type where there's just nothing but but endless fights where uh, you know the, the the hero beats everybody up and all the rest of it because it's not that as i said earlier a lot of it is about communication and there's good there's bad there's humor there's um there's emotion there's the, the whole spectrum of humanity i mean that's one of the things that a lot of people don't understand about working in that kind of environment is you see humanity laid bare you know through through the sexual nature of it through the drugs through the alcohol um everything is laid bare before your very eyes, the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between. So, so yes, yeah, so the first book was written like that. There was a big gap in the middle. But then once that was out, and once it was, you know, once it was received as well as it was, that really then made me want to write more. I thoroughly enjoyed the process. And it was just something that now I, I just do. I write for various magazines. I write blogs. I write articles. I write, um, as I say, I mean, I've got a number of books going on at the minute, but I've got to get this uni thing out of the way first. But I've committed myself now to basically a book a year. That's perfectly realistic and, 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 and you know, can be achieved. But that's the trouble with the way that I do things is I'm not sure about yourself. Maybe you're similar. I can't just sort of do a little bit of something. I'm either 110% or not at all. There's no sort of middle ground. I, I have a, a different challenge, I find, in, in, in writing my book. So far, I've only gotten one out. I have ideas for others, but um, haven't gotten there yet. I'm the kind of person who I, I tend to work in, in, in spurts. So I will basically goof off for eight hours and then work like a madman for six. Uh, you know, and that, and it took me a long time to come to realize that that's just the way I am. There's nothing wrong with that approach. I love to be able to do it the way you do it. I'd love to, to have that sort of discipline where I'm going to sit down and I'm going to do this many words every day. And as you point out, whether or not they're good, I've, I was taught just write, just start. Don't stare at the blank page. Even if it's gibberish or nothing at the beginning, you'll find a groove and you'll, you know, you'll make it happen. But that just hasn't been my way. Although I will say that when it's come to learning the piano, I have decided that I am going to practice an hour a day every single day. Um, and so far I have been able to commit myself to that. So that I am taking that different approach there, but I find with writing, it, I have, it just has to, the mood for it has to hit me. And when it does, I've got to do it. I, I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier. You mentioned a lot of questions that people have, um, sort of misconceptions that you uh, addressed in your first book. I wonder if you can share one or two of those questions that you get and, and how people misperceive what you do. Yeah, so without trying to sort of paint everyone with the same brush, there are some similarities from a, uh, a 
a certain group of people. Now, that certain group of people have only really interacted with security personnel because they've needed speaking to mm-hmm. or they've needed having their behavior addressed. Right. And so quite often they, are, they work on the premise that all, all bouncers are thugs and bullies and just want to thump people. Everyone's on steroids and, and things like that, which is absolutely not the case for the most part. There's, there's bad apples in every barrel, of course there is. And there are certain types of people that are maybe drawn to it for the wrong reasons, but they, they don't tend to stick around too long because they either do the very thing they're being accused of, which is be overly violent and find themselves locked up or out of a job um, or they just create so much trouble that nobody wants to employ them or work with them and so so that there's a natural selection process that does kind of get rid of a lot of these people so the first the first main thing is that that, yeah that that it's full of bullies and thugs and violent people that like violence when in actual fact for the most part from my experience that was not the case there were people that were very capable of violence but that's not the same thing at all Mm-hmm. And so you had that, and then you had the whole, well, you must be stupid because that's what you do for a living. And again, I find that to be not true on so many levels. There are, the same as a lot of things, there are people that maybe are quite happy at the bottom level of that particular sort of job role and spec, in the same way that somebody can pass a driving test and drive a car, but never really go very far. And there are other people that are you know, super, super skilled and drive giant tankers full of chemicals that will explode at a wrong turn and right at the top of the game, Formula One drivers, all sorts of things like that. So there's everything in between. And the same applies. And what you find is that for the most part, to do those kind of roles, you have to be able, as I said earlier, to be good at communication, but you also have to be very good at problem solving Mm -hmm. because the problem solving element of the role is probably the most critical out of all of them because it's happening in the now and 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 you're always getting shocked with something new it's there are certain things that are standardized with regards to in relation to drink drugs as i say sexuality and things so there's a lot of things that happen regularly but there's an awful lot of stuff that just blows you away and you have to think about that in the moment and try and figure that out so there's that element of it as well, whereas actually most of these the, the guys and girls that do this are actually pretty clever people and, as I say, have to maintain that. And they've got to juggle more, you know, play, uh, spin plates more than one at a time as well, because you've got to bear in mind that these people, if they're in a club environment, they're responsible for the whole club and everyone in it, not just you shouting about your problem in that moment. So there's all that element to it as well. And then there's the other side of it which is again some people think that there's a an overly glamorous side to it so they'll look at it and they'll think oh i've seen a couple of movies and being a bodyguard must be fantastic you know you get to do all of these really exciting things when for the most part being honest you're stood in a in a corridor or staring at a bush or (laughs) or something other something just as equally mundane for large amounts of time with very little to occupy your mind and so that glamorous side of it, I mean, there is elements to that where, where you do get the doors open to a world that you would normally see. And again, that's something that I think has been absolutely pivotal in, in my life and where, you know, what, what I've done with it. Because 
from a, a small town lad working on building sites, doing manual labour, to see a world of celebrity and power and money and to, and to see that firsthand and how that looks was, a, was an absolute eye-opener. And then to learn to have to not be part of it, because I don't for one second think that I'm ever part of it like that, but you have to learn to be able to at least blend in with that because that's part of your job role. And so, yeah, so, so there was all those kind of elements to it and, and all of those things were, were being questioned by lots of people. And so it, it seemed like a natural thing to do to, to just try and answer some of those questions and also just to get a lot of sort of stories off your chest. You know, we all have stories. We all have experiences. Some, some are sort of funnier than others. Some are more interesting than others. But we all have an individual story to tell. I have, I have to say I've only had one interaction with a, with a bouncer and it was in a bar, a situation where there was a guy who was hassling me. He was very drunk and I think he was gay. I think he was trying to, um, you know, pick me up and I was trying to be very polite and just say, hey, you know, I'm not interested and he wouldn't leave me alone. And uh, not the type to, you know, get into a physical altercation. I just got up and went to the bouncer. This wasn't a very big place. There was just one at the door. And I told him that there was, you know, trouble sort of brewing in the back. And he came back and he took care of it in a very professional way. And as I guess a lot of folks who do that job, particularly in, in that kind of situation, they deliberately go in looking tough. You know, they're wearing tough clothes. Maybe, you know, they're, they're playing the part in, I think, and you can correct me, but simply looking tough uh, is going to is half the battle, right? Nobody's going to cause trouble if there's somebody there that they think can take care of things. We got to chatting afterwards because I went up to thank him for taking care of the situation, and he turned out to be a PhD candidate at one of the local universities. You know, just a brilliant guy who was uh, doing the job to make some extra money. It was very good at it, and uh, as you point out, you know, had to have his wits about him and be very smart and mainly use communication to, you know, address situations. He, you know, he talked to the guy, he talked to the guy's friends and all together, they just put him in a cab and sent him home. And that was the end of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. But that's an, ex that's a really good example of uh, somebody doing the job correctly without having to resort to making a scene or hurting somebody or anything like that. So, and, and that is going on consistently all across the world, night after night, and none of that, none of that is what actually hits the spotlight. None, it's when somebody does something wrong or or messes up. That's that's when the spotlight gets shone. And so, yeah, so that sort of thing's going on every day, right across, right across the world. And th those are the people that really needed to be sort of spoken of, and those sort of stories needed to be told, just to sort of redress the balance a little bit. So, um, so yeah, so that was the the reasoning behind it and um, thoroughly enjoyed doing it. And uh, yeah, sort of, you, you get a bug, don't you? Once you start, that's the trouble. It's like a bug and you just sort of get this little addiction. And, and as you say, you get this urge to write. And when that happens, it's really hard to, to be able to focus on anything else because it just wants to come out. So I, I, it's, it's interesting. Whenever I talk to people that like to write, quite often they say similar things as in it's just, it's there and it wants to come out. My book it came out in 2013. I happened to be single at the time, and I, I can say that it, it definitely worked to be able to plan a date with a woman near a bookstore and just wander in and happen to say, hey, you know, let's come over here and let's see if there's something on the shelf and, and there's my book. It works for that too.
Well, well, oddly enough, I, I mean that is exactly how I met my my future wife, my partner, whom who you know we share a house together, we share a life together. We're uh, under the current conditions. We've been putting it off, but we're due to due to marry, and that was that's exactly how we met. I. I was actually delivering self-defense workshops and anti-bullying things into schools here in the UK. And I've been doing that for a number of years with a big with a, with a, with a charity. And this lady came into the, the school the one day to write a blog article because she's a blogger about this particular day, and which she did. But then she found out that I'd written this book and, and, and then wrote another article around the book. And that was our uh, that was how we met was 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 through through her writing the blogs and me writing the book and so yeah I'm, I'm with you on that so so for anyone out there that's struggling to find a relationship there's your answer isn't it write a book <laughs> and uh, yeah it's, it, it works work for both of us yeah exactly it may be a little time consuming but uh but it, it, it can impress it may take a little more time but the investment is worth it and i mean this quite seriously in the sense that um, you can go to a bar and, you know, pick somebody up kind of thing. But what do you actually know about them? If somebody's taken the time to, to read your book and they, they, they actually have an understanding of you, even if the book isn't about you, that doesn't make a difference. You know, they but they understand a lot more about you through the process of reading that than, than, than you would from just a throwaway conversation. So maybe it is worth the time. I don't know. People have, people have to make their own minds up. We can summarize by saying there are a lot of good reasons to write books a lot of good reasons generally to pursue your passions and with that so you well it sounds like you have a marriage on the horizon but um beyond that from a professional standpoint what's next for uh, matt state well we're we're in a strange world at the moment aren't we we're we're there's lots of things shifting balance is shifting um all kinds of things are shifting um and again they're they're, they're whole different conversations and rabbit holes that you can follow down but suffice to say that the way that we the way that we live, the way that we work, the way that we communicate, the way that we go about our free time, the way we spend our money, all of these things are in flux at the moment and, and how they're actually going to settle. Who's to really know? But there are some absolutely sort of factual things. And one of those is obviously the use of uh, mediums like we're doing now with regards to technology, Zoom, social media, all those kind of things. So there's a lot more of that going on. I've, I've, I do a lot of social media stuff at the moment. Um, I do a lot of stuff with TikTok. I was, uh, I started on that a, a little while ago and uh, reached a couple of hundred thousand followers on there and started coaching other people and then started to mm. be approached by businesses and things. So now I now I do a, a lot of that and recognize the search. And I thoroughly enjoy that, by the way. That's something that I find very interesting and I like the challenge of it and, and again it's 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 writing but in another guise because essentially what I'm doing is helping other businesses to present their story but through a visual medium so you know it's, it's still storytelling in that respect so I'm doing a lot more of that um, again the gym now we're here here where we are we are just on the cusp of being able to reopen the doors under sort of certain conditions and so there's a bit more of that. The online courses that I do and have done for years, and that was something that um, was, was great because when we did go into this originally, I already had a number of online courses and, and, and teachings available. So sort of expanding that out as well. And, and the books, I've actually got, <laughs> I've got four, 
on the go at the moment that are all sort of part written and they're all um, pickledy pickledy all over the place. And, and I've, as, as I mentioned earlier, I've got the commitment to at least one a year. So I've got to focus in on one of those specifically, but it's a, it's, it's a case of which one is going to sort of uh, come to the front, if you will, because they're all, they're all interesting concepts. And, um, and, and I'm, I like, you know, I like playing with all of them. So it's whichever one will, will take precedent, I suppose. Well, very good. I know that you can, people can find all of your books uh, on Amazon. I will uh, include links in the show notes to other places where people can uh, uh, reach you and, and see what you're doing. And uh, thank you. I very much appreciate your taking the time. And once more, uh, for the record, on the record, thank you for your patience and persistence. It has taken a while to put this together, and I'm so glad we got the chance to do it. It's my pleasure. No, thank you for uh, having the conversation. I've enjoyed it myself. And, uh, and yes, it may have taken a little while to get here, but worth the wait. Well, very good. Well, take care. And, uh, and yeah, again, congratulations on your uh, upcoming uh, nuptials. Thank you very much. As always, thank you to Jim Cirillo at jimmymgroup.com for our original music. Thank you to my daughter, Rachel Greenberger, who graduates from college in just a few days for our, our original art. Please send any questions you may have to WTSWTGT at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at hashtag WTSWTGT. Until next time, always be positive. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.